Chapters eighty four to eighty seven of Tristram Shandy, Volume four. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Elizabeth Clett. The Life and Opinions of Tristram Shandy, Gentleman. Volume four. Last volume. By Lawrence Stern. Chapter eighty four. When we have got to the end of this chapter, but not before, we must all turn back to the two blank chapters, on the account of which my honour has lain bleeding this half-hour. I stop it by pulling off one of my yellow slippers, and throwing it with all my violence to the opposite side of my room, with the declaration at the heel of it, that whatever resemblance it may bear to half the chapters which are written in the world, or, for aught I know, may be now writing in it, that it was as casual as the foam of Zeuxis his horse. Besides, I look upon a chapter which has only nothing in it with respect, and considering what worse things there are in the world, that it is no way a proper subject for satire. Why, then, was it left so? And here, without staying for my reply, shall I be called as many blockheads, numskulls, doddy-poles, dunderheads, ninny-hammers, goose-caps, nincompoops, and shitterbeds, and other unsavoury appellations, as ever the cake-bakers of learn cast in the teeth of King Garangantan's shepherds. And I'll let them do it, as Bridget said, as much as they please, for how was it possible they should foresee the necessity I was under of writing the eighty-fourth chapter of my book, before the seventy-seventh, etc.? So I don't take it amiss. All I wish is that it may be a lesson to the world, to let people tell their own stories their own way. The seventy-seventh chapter as Mrs. Bridget opened the door before the corporal had well given the rap, the interval betwixt that and my uncle Toby's introduction into the parlour was so short, that Mrs. Wadman had but just time to get from behind the curtain, lay a Bible upon the table, and advance a step or two towards the door to receive him. My uncle Toby saluted Mrs. Wadman, after the manner in which women were saluted by men in the year of our Lord God, one thousand seven hundred and thirteen, then facing about, he marched up abreast with her to the sofa, and in three plain words, though not before he was sat down, nor after he was sat down, but as he was sitting down, told her he was in love, so that my uncle Toby strained himself more in the declaration than he needed. Mrs. Wadman naturally looked down, upon a slit she had been darning up in her apron, in expectation every moment that my uncle Toby would go on. But having no talents for amplification, and love, moreover, of all things, being a subject of which he was the least a master, when he had told Mrs. Wadman once that he loved her, he let it alone, and left the matter to work after its own way. My father was always in raptures with this system of my uncle Toby's, as he falsely called it, and would often say that, could his brother Toby to his process have added but a pipe of tobacco, he had wherewithal to have found his way if there was faith in a Spanish proverb, towards the hearts of half the women upon the globe. My uncle Toby never understood what my father meant, nor will I presume to extract more from it than a condemnation of an error which the bulk of the world lie under. But the French, every one of them to a man who believe in it, almost as much as the real presence, that talking of love is making it. I would as soon set about making a black pudding by the same receipt. Let us go on. 
Mrs. Wadman sat in expectation my uncle Toby would do so to almost the first pulsation of that minute, where in silence on one side or the other generally becomes indecent, so edging herself a little more towards him, and raising up her eyes, sub-blushing as she did it, she took up the gauntlet, or the discourse, if you like it better, and communed with my uncle Toby thus. "'The cares and disquietudes of the marriage state,' quoth Mrs. Wadman, are very great. "'I suppose so,' said my uncle Toby. "'And therefore, when a person,' continued Mrs. Wadman, "'is so much at his ease as you are, so happy, Captain Shandy, in yourself, your friends, and your amusements, I wonder what reasons can incline you to the state.' "'They are written,' quoth my uncle Toby, "'in the common prayer-book.' Thus far my uncle Toby went on warily, and kept within his depth, leaving Mrs. Wadman to sail upon the gulf as she pleased. "'As for children,' said Mrs. Wadman, "'though a principal end, perhaps, of the institution, and the natural wish, I suppose, of every parent, yet do not we all find they are certain sorrows, and very uncertain comforts, and what is there, dear sir, to pay one for the heartaches? What compensation for the many tender and disquieting apprehensions of a suffering and defenceless mother, who brings them into life? I declare, said my uncle Toby, smit with pity, I know of none, unless it be the pleasure which it has pleased God. A fiddlestick! quoth she. The seventy-eighth. Now there are such an infinitude of notes, tunes, cants, chants, airs, looks, and accents with which the word fiddlestick may be pronounced in all such causes as this, every one of them impressing a sense and meaning as different from the other, as dirt from cleanliness, that casuists, for it is an affair of conscience on that score, reckon up no less than fourteen thousand in which you may do either right or wrong. Mrs. Wadman hit upon the fiddlestick, which summoned up all my uncle Toby's modest blood into his cheeks, so feeling within himself that he had somehow or other got beyond his depth, he stopped short, and without entering further either into the pains or pleasures of matrimony, he laid his hand upon his heart, and made an offer to take them as they were, and share them along with her. When my uncle Toby had said this, he did not care to say it again, so casting his eye upon the Bible which Mrs. Wadman had laid upon the table, he took it up, and popping, dear soul, upon a passage in it, of all others the most interesting to him, which was the siege of Jericho, he set himself to read it over, leaving his proposal of marriage, as he had done his declaration of love, to work with her after its own way. Now it wrought neither as an astringent or a loosener, nor like opium, or bark, or mercury, or buckthorn, or any one drug which nature had bestowed upon the world, in short, it worked not at all in her, and the cause of that was that there was something working there before, babbler that I am, I have anticipated what it was a dozen times, but there is fire still in the subject. Allons. CHAPTER eighty five. It is natural for a perfect stranger who is going from London to Edinburgh to inquire before he sets out how many miles to York, which is about the half-way, nor does anybody wonder if he goes on and asks about the corporation, etc. It was just as natural for Mrs. Wadman, whose first husband was all his time afflicted with a sciatica, to wish to know how far from the hip to the groin, and how far she was likely to suffer more or less in her feelings, in the one case than in the other. 
She had accordingly read Drake's Anatomy from one end to the other. She had peeped into Wharton upon the brain, and borrowed Graf—this must be a mistake in Mr. Shandy, for Graf wrote upon the pancreatic juice and the parts of generation—upon the bones and muscles, but could make nothing of it. She had reasoned likewise from her own powers, laid down theorems, drawn consequences, and come to no conclusion. To clear up all, she had twice asked Dr. Slop if poor Captain Shandy was ever likely to recover of his wound. "'He is recovered,' Dr. Slop would say. "'What, quite?' "'Quite, madam.' "'But what do you mean by a recovery?' Mrs. Wadman would say. Dr. Slop was the worst man alive at definitions, and so Mrs. Wadman could get no knowledge. In short, there was no way to extract it but from my uncle Toby himself. There is an accent of humanity in an enquiry of this kind which lulls suspicion to rest, and I am half persuaded the serpent got pretty near it in his discourse with Eve, for the propensity in the sex to be deceived could not be so great that she should have boldness to hold chat with the devil, without it. But there is an accent of humanity—how shall I describe it? "'Tis an accent which covers the part with a garment, and gives the inquirer a right to be as particular with it as your body-surgeon. Was it without remission? Was it more tolerable in bed? Could he lie on both sides alike with it? Was he able to mount a horse? Was motion bad for it? etc., was so tenderly spoke to, and so directed towards my uncle Toby's heart, that every item of them sunk ten times deeper into it than the evils themselves. But when Mrs. Wadman went round about by Namur to get at my uncle Toby's groin, and engaged him to attack the point of the advanced counterscarp, and pell-mell with the Dutch to take the counterguard of St. Roch's sword in hand, and then, with tender notes playing upon his ear, led him all bleeding by the hand out of the trench, wiping her eye as he was carried to his tent. Heaven, earth, sea, all was lifted up, the springs of nature rose above their levels, an angel of mercy sat beside him on the sofa, his heart glowed with fire, and had he been worth a thousand, he had lost every other heart of them to Mrs. Wadman. "'And whereabouts, dear sir?' quoth Mrs. Wadman, a little categorically. Did you receive this sad blow?" In asking this question, Mrs. Wadman gave a slight glance towards the waistband of my uncle Toby's red plush breeches, expecting naturally, as the shortest reply to it, that my uncle Toby would lay his forefinger upon the place. It fell out otherwise, for my uncle Toby, having got his wound before the gate of St. Nicholas, in one of the traverses of the trench opposite to the salient angle of the demi-bastion of St. Roche, he could at any time stick a pin upon the identical spot of ground where he was standing when the stone struck him. This struck instantly upon my uncle Toby's sensorium, and with it struck his large map of the town and citadel of Namur and his environs, which he had purchased and pasted down upon a board by the corporal's aid during his long illness. It had lain with other military lumber in the garret ever since, and accordingly the corporal was detached to the garret to fetch it. My uncle Toby measured off thirty toises, with Mrs. Wadman's scissors, from the returning angle before the gate of St. Nicholas, and with such a virgin modesty laid her finger upon the place, that the goddess of decency, if then in being, if not t'was her shade, shook her head, and with a finger wavering across her eyes, forbid her to explain the mistake. Unhappy Mrs. Wadman! For nothing can make this chapter go off with spirit but an apostrophe to thee but my heart tells me that in such a crisis an apostrophe is but an insult in disguise. And ere I would offer one to a woman in distress, let the chapter go to the devil, provided any damned critic in keeping will be but at the trouble to take it with him.
Chapter 86 My Uncle Toby's Map is Carried Down into the Kitchen. Chapter 87 And here is the Mise, and this is the Sombre, said the Corporal, pointing with his right hand extended a little towards the map, and his left upon Mrs. Bridget's shoulder, but not the shoulder next him. And this, said he, is the town of Namur, and this the citadel, and there lay the French, and here lay his honour and myself, and in this cursed trench, Mrs. Bridget, quoth the corporal, taking her by the hand, did he receive the wound which crushed him so miserably here? In pronouncing which he slightly pressed the back of her hand toward the part he felt for, and let it fall. "'We thought, Mr. Trim, it had been more in the middle,' said Mrs. Bridget. "'That would have undone us for ever,' said the corporal. "'And left my poor mistress undone, too,' said Bridget. The corporal made no reply to the repartee, but by giving Mrs. Bridget a kiss. "'Come, come,' said Bridget, holding the palm of her left hand parallel to the plane of the horizon, and sliding the fingers of the other over it, in a way which could not have been done, had there been the least wart or protuberance. "'Tis every syllable of it false!' cried the corporal, before she had half finished the sentence. "'I know it to be fact,' said Bridget, from credible witnesses. "'Upon my honour," said the corporal, laying his hand upon his heart, and blushing as he spoke with honest resentment, "'Tis a story, Mrs. Bridget, as false as hell—not,' said Bridget, interrupting him, "'that either I or my mistress care a halfpenny about it, whether tis or no, only that, when one is married, one would choose to have such a thing by one at least.' It was somewhat unfortunate for Mrs. Bridget, that she had begun the attack with her manual exercise, for the corporal instantly— End of chapters 84 to 87